0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of CPA Review and More. We are pleased to bring you the number one podcast for CPAs and CPA candidates. If you'd like to learn more about how Jaeger CPA Review can help you, find us on our website at JaegerCPAReview.com. Now, here's your host, Phil Yeager.
1: Me from the time you graduated college, where you started getting the experience in what you're doing now. All right. How yeah. did you get the experience?
2: I think that my highest billable year was maybe 2,400, 2,500 hours of billable time within those first three years each year.
1: Working for what? A public accounting firm?
2: So my first position was with a firm that was carved out of Arthur Anderson. So locally in, in Phoenix. And so it, I just describe it as a multifamily office, but it was a primarily a tax driven PWS private wealth specialty group that right. came out of Arthur Anderson. And so it was technically, it felt like a, an accounting uh, model and it, maybe it was, if you look back on it and compare it, but those have now kind of morphed into a little bit more of a consulting model.
1: Is your profession require people, even though they pass the CPA exam, that they have higher intelligence than people who do not? <laughs> I mean, what? It That's sounds funny. like you're getting involved in all different, very complicated investments. You deal in derivatives still, and all that.
2: No, I, there's alternatives. There's, um, it's actually surprisingly simple. What the philosophy is is, you know, managing around an asset allocation. So. It's really kind of, you know, taking technology to the benefit of the clients and saying, all right, so we've got, we've done this kind of analysis for you. We've done the risk conversation. We figured out where they're comfortable in terms of a market decline uh, or potential, you know, evaluated their potential comfort level with that. And it's managing around, all right, so are you looking for things that aren't uh, widely available? Sure, we can provide that solution for you. But if you're looking for, you know, safety or you're looking for, you know, just that's something that doesn't make your tax return more complicated, so to speak, then there's, there's a model for that. And and I think it's just a spectrum and it's just some, it's ed, taking clients through education. We have some clients that come strictly for the alternative investments that we offer. And because as, as the firm size, we get access to that.
1: What are alternative investments? What what's it?
2: Yeah. So one of the ones that that I like to talk about is uh, reinsurance. So it's this idea that when I pay my insurance company to insure my house, or whatever the peril is. So in some cases, you know, large real estate investment firms may take out catastrophe coverage for hurricanes or the New York subway system might kind of shift that insurance off to one of these insurance brokers. The reinsurance market is an investment pool that investors are looking to, to earn a higher rate of return than you could get on bonds. But then you're also risking complete loss if, you know, if the, that peril actually occurs, what is nice to see and what, you know, I think is as great benefit for clients is to kind of shift from just, hey, I just want to buy a, a bond that's insuring the New York subway to I want to buy a risk here in Europe, or i want to buy a risk in Florida or buy a risk. And so it's, an, it's a way that it's not easily available to get out of. It maybe has a, a little bit more of a lockup period, but it, it should get you a higher rate of return over time. You know, you can come back to me and say, "Well, global warming's coming, and there's more more events," but that's just more of a market timing and a readjustment of what that premium could be. I
1: think to myself, I always ask myself, "Why did I go into accounting?"
2: <laughs> you know,
1: and I ask a lot of people that because you know they they don't like the negative image. Why did you become an accountant? Who held a gun to your head? To Who me? held a gun to my head? Yeah,
2: I'll maybe I'll share why I stayed to be an accountant. I love numbers though. So I've heard this many times interviewing other candidates. It's that it's that one moment in time where we're, we're watching the news and we're watching CNBC or Bloomberg and you've got all of these folks dressed up in nice suits talking about all this advanced stuff that I didn't understand at the time. And I'm like, all right, something tells me I need to know what this means, right? And, and I think and part of that is we didn't get financial planning in high school or, or elementary school, right? So we, it, it's more started as a hobby And then it kind of evolved into, all right, where is the best fit for me? When I was a kid, no one thought I would be an accountant at all. I had these huge, massive... Uh, piles of Legos, like we're talking like four feet, five feet tall of just straight up Legos. And I would pick a building to go build from downtown Phoenix and and just build that on my own. And then I think I even built out of uh, popsicle sticks one of my parents' homes growing up. And so everyone kind of thought, oh, he's going to be an architect or he's creative. But over time, it just what accounting did for me is fulfill the analytical math side of things, right? I mean, I can do architect or design all day long. I have a creative outlet and, and I'm able to still fulfill that outlet uh, being an accountant from a planning perspective, right? Like It allows me to think about things in a way that others may not and kind of bring an added value to that. I mean, accounting was a natural fit. I tried out English, I tried out political science, and the last thing was business. What better profession than accounting that understands the language of business, right? So...
1: I uh, really didn't want to major in accounting. Most of the uh, male population in Long Island, in my town in Long Island, right, they were CPAs. And my mother was convinced these people had more money than anybody else. And, you know, that's a good profession for you.
2: Mm, Now,
1: the fact that I said I don't want to be in that profession didn't seem to faze my mother. So, you know, I started accounting and...
2: It's interesting you say that because it's, if money's the pure motivator, there's burnout, right? So it's something about accounting that you enjoyed after that period where it made you stay in it. And maybe it's your niche being a professor, right? Or or something, but I
1: taught a couple of classes at Fairleigh Dickinson University in New Jersey, you know, just part-time. And I went in there and I, I like to be in front of people. I mean, to some degree, I'm a jokester. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I can't tell jokes, believe it or not. I cannot <laughs> tell a joke. But if I see something, I can turn it and make it funny, you know? Mm-hmm. And this year, uh, I started giving back to charities. And uh, Great. actually, uh, and I met some of these people uh, from like uh, Shark Tank and all that. But uh, I was in, I was taking the train back to Washington, D.C. And meanwhile... All right, you know who Tyler Matheson is mm-hmm. from CNBC? Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm sitting, I'm sitting in an aisle seat and he walks by, and I, I just couldn't remember his name for a second. So I said, You're CNBC, aren't you? Yeah, he says, Yeah, yeah. So I said, God, what, what is your name? And he, he was just a nice guy, and he's also very bright. I don't know where he gets his, if he worked for a brokerage firm or do you know on CNBC, uh, if these people that are actually spewing out information about the market and the Dow. Do they really know what they're talking about?
2: It sounds smart, right? So we should we should know. But uh, certainly, there's a lot of speculation in the in in that conversation. So it's really about taking you know something at a grain of salt and 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 maybe diving a little more into it to help you figure out if that's a meaningful thing to you or not. And there's plenty of resources out there to do that, but you know something about you know tv and publicity around certain things you always want to do your research right you know especially on CNBC, they're like oh if you don't buy xyz stock because something is off with the currency and blah 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 blah, right but if you're really managing around long-term you know wealth and having your uh a goals-based type planning approach None of that matters. What really matters is sticking to that plan and continuing to evaluate it as things change you know going to your competent advisors and saying hey i heard about this is this something i should work in or is there a different path like if there's you know a large cap stock or something that the client wants to own how could we work that into the to the overall plan and kind of fulfill that need but yeah certainly we have clients that just have that that love to do some of the speculation they love to do the shorting and the uh, and the collar strategies and and so uh, and so they kind of fill that with their own uh you know side portfolio for that so uh, yeah i i think that the value there is understanding what they're trying to say but then possibly discounting it after you do some research and see how it applies to you
1: yeah i mean there are people on cnbc kramer you can tell he knows what he's talking about i have always thought overall it's a good station i mean Mm -hmm. but once again Someone reads a prompter. What do they know about anything? You know?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, Jim Cramer certainly animated, and I wish we could all be like him in terms of how we describe our portfolio. No,
1: he is really. uh,
2: Yeah.
1: He's really into that show. Oh, good. Yeah. And uh, what is your goal in the future? Is it just to stay where you are, or what do you want to do? Uh, Will we see you on CNBC? (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, who knows who knows where things lead but I from time to time enjoy writing articles that get um, put into the local magazines or you know have conversations with uh, you know I'm big on mentorship things like that It's so interesting that you bring that up because I remember when I first made my five-year plan out of school, I accomplished that five-year plan in like four years and it scared the heck out of me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what does my next five-year plan be? You know, and the goals we set for ourselves how do we even know that that's a really good goal to do? And so I think from, you know, knowing that and kind of knowing where, where my path has led, I, I it's a really great question. And I think, you know, I could be at the firm for a while. I could continue and do a, a advisor role. I could, you know, move to different parts of the bank, but... I, you know, for right now, it seems, you know, things are on autopilot. Things are really happy. The pandemic seems to be winding down a bit. And, you know, I'm just really enjoying kind of where things are falling. Right. And and I think that's, you know, this idea of, of staying uber present and, you know, knowing who you serve is what's top of mind today. So. Is
1: Phoenix uh, a big financial area now or more financial companies coming in there?
2: You know, it's so interesting because for years I heard stories about, you know, large firms, large, you know, Goldman's of the world, things like that, kind of visiting clients in Paradise Valley or Scottsdale or some of the wealthier areas. You know, we are seeing, you know, home prices like anywhere else. I mean, we are seeing a a huge influx of folks from the West Coast, maybe the East Coast. And there is quite a quite a nice uh, opportunity here, whether it's within the financial services world or the startup community, there are a lot of things happening. And so I, yeah.
1: It's ridiculous. I mean, cars, used cars have gone up in value. Oh,
2: did you read the article? I think I bought a car in the pandemic and they basically said, your car might be worth more than what you bought it for last year, which is crazy to me to, to think that, but.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like people are, you know, they're going in a car and you remember they used to say, well, how much can I save, you know, under sticker price? Now, these dealerships are getting away with, you know, well, you got to pay some more over the, the sticker price. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing. And how's gasoline prices in your area right now?
2: Well, so I drive an electric car, so I don't necessarily... Do you really? What kind I don't of car necessarily do you care. It's a little, uh, it's a little uh, BMW i3 is, is what I have. And so it has about a 150 mile range. And so what I like to say is it gets me across town and back to Goodyear basically. So it gets me from mountain range to mountain range in Phoenix and back and uh, home. Uh, but gas prices are uh, maybe $3 a gallon. I think premium is 330 seems like it's kind of gradually stepped up a little bit. We were fortunate because we didn't have a, a direct impact with the pipeline uh, issue earlier this year, a lot of our gas, some seems to come from a little bit more of a diversified approach. So,
1: yeah, I think our, uh, fuels, our gasoline stations must have a direct hotline (laughs) to all the oil companies, because as soon as they mentioned the colonial pipeline was going to be shut down, I'd say the price of gas went up 10 minutes later.
2: Well, plus, that plus—I mean, it's market-driven, right? So there's a yeah. there's a spot price every every minute, every second of the day for it. It seems to me that the scenario where people started to kind of top off their cars almost every day, create yeah. artificial, you know, it, and it's and it's and it's an emotional response to that, and that's really what we talk about to clients often is how do you control that emotional response and how do you kind of just follow the data, follow. Uh, you know, that sort of thing, or maybe just kind of drive a little less until it was resolved, you know? So,
1: yeah, they couldn't, uh, during the pandemic, they couldn't give away gasoline, everything you were talking about. It's, you know, you have some people are probably listening to you and saying, I don't think I could do that. It's so complicated,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, wealth management, who has asked you for your advice on what they should go into
2: Is there anyone who has asked you for that advice? Oh, my gosh. It's if I had a dollar for every time that happens. So, you know, and quite regularly, we're getting a lot of uh, cryptocurrency questions right now. And, And I think... Now that there is a sell-off and there's a correction in the crypto, those are kind of going... Those questions seem to be kind of muted a little bit. But yeah, a lot of clients kind of came and said, should I get in this? Is this an asset class that we should be in? How do you even get into it? And what's interesting is I've seen... from one side of it where you have to VPN in and and buy the foreign coin and and some foreign market all the way to maybe a coinbase approach or you know buying shares of a company that creates the coin or the non-fungible token but yeah it's really it's really quite interesting because i was talking to one of my friends and and i said all right well what's your price target for ether or dogecoin or whatever it was at the time and And I think and so we talked about it and I said, all right, well, why didn't you sell at that target, you know, take some off the top, right? Whatever you've put in to coin, you know, let's just say they put in 20 to 30,000 because, you know, Bitcoin is like 30,000 a coin or whatever, whatever they put in, if it goes up 40,000, right? Why aren't you trimming some, right? Why aren't we kind of continuing to keep that that size of bucket at where it makes sense for your overall net worth and portfolio? while we can still trim on the top and see some of that benefit and get that into a different asset allocation?
1: You know, to me, uh, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, it's, it's pretty complicated. Yeah. And people, you know, the fact that they don't have, uh, you know, you go to your wallet, you take out $10, $20. It's, it's something tangible. Yeah. And yet uh, I think people don't understand sort of like the cloud accounting,
2: Yeah. right? Yeah.
1: People think, hey, you know, there's a cloud up there and uh, that cloud has all of my information backed up. But if it's a rainy day, I'm not going to be able to get into my cloud. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, we're coming up with this terminology and I think we're moving too fast. I really do with
2: with everything. It, it's so funny you say that we're moving too fast. In some respects, we talk about how it's moving so slow, right? Things that are moving slow. How do we get into the cloud in the accounting world? How do we actually get those smaller firms to really buy into these kind of uh, streamlined things? So I think we're moving fast with respect to big companies, big firms. But when we're kind of looking downstream to see kind of what what the regional folks are doing or what the local folks are doing they're doing stuff that's probably what they've been doing for the last 20 or 30 years and so i think that there's a balance there that needs to happen i think that on 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 some respects the larger firms are moving fast however these smaller firms are nimble enough to be competitively priced to still compete with those larger firms without you know uh, typically, we see, you know, QuickBooks Online is is one of the key things, right? That that's streamlined and how you can passively integrate all of the expenses and and auto categorize things and things like that, compared to how we used to do it with des- uh, QuickBooks Desktop and and that sort of thing. So, well, do you it,
1: recommend cryptocurrency to uh, people for investments?
2: I don't personally hold any coin. I think. There was a time a couple of weeks ago where I thought, eh, maybe it's time to, to, to buy some gold. One of my friends was like, hey, why don't you get a nice piece of jewelry or something for I won this nice award, which is how we met or at, at year end. And so I just said, you know what, I'm just going to buy the gold, the GLD fund, and that'll be kind of how I celebrate, <laughs> so to speak. So. I, I think tangible products or tangible type investments make sense to me. Something you can feel and touch. I really am encouraged to see how the NFTs are rolling out. I'm really encouraged uh, to see.
1: What are the NFTs for people who don't know what
2: they Oh, are? those are the non-functional tokens. So it's this idea that if, if I own a right to something and I can make the digital copy of that, I own it now on digital, and you don't need it. And and so basically, it's kind of creating this digital world where we all kind of dreamed about or saw movies about when we were little kids. Well,
1: James, our time is really—I know you'd like to talk to me for another hour, or
2: two, but uh, <laughs> well, it's been great. It's gone by quickly. So
1: thank you. Listen, I wish you the best of luck with your business. I'm sure you don't need any of my luck, but <laughs> uh, you know, it sounds like you're doing well.
2: Fortunately, and
1: you are on LinkedIn. Are you not? If
2: people... I am on LinkedIn. I think my LinkedIn name is James Sean McGettigan, CPA. So feel free to reach out and um, shoot me a message. I'm, I love to meet new people, love to kind of see how we can help each other out or, and that sort of thing.
1: And do you have an open house every Sunday where people can just come over?
2: To... <laughs> <laughs> There's an open house on Friday after or Friday night for a 60th birthday party at my house. So it's
1: <laughs> <There's> turning <laughs> 60.
2: Oh some really close friends of mine uh, Donna Donna's husband Chuck is turning 60 so oh, so we thought nice. we thought everyone's vaccinated and it's time to get together so yeah
1: Well happy
2: birthday what's his name Chuck Chuck yes Chuck Okay
1: and who's the, is that your wife you mentioned No your name?
2: no wife uh no we're just really good friends she's been a friend of mine since I, I want to say maybe early 20s. We, I do, um, as part of kind of my meditation and all that, I do Pilates and yoga and uh, work out with a trainer regularly. And so I've met Donna through friends through through that group, so.
1: ah, yeah, great, great. Yeah. Well, look, I hope the rest of the summer there in Phoenix uh, cools down a little. Uh, but as I say, if it doesn't, just think <laughs> about me in December and January.
2: sure. Well, (laughs) we'll do, but with the, with the way the weather goes, you might be a 90 degree day in December and then a, you know, a 32 degree day the next day. Yeah.
1: The weather is changing. It really is changing.
2: Yeah. Well, wonderful. Thank you for having me. And um, I'm not, there's not too many McGettigan CPAs out there. So. Well, thank
1: you for being on. And uh, anyway, please listen to the podcast. It's yet CPA review and more. We have a new podcast every Tuesday. And once again, my phone number, if you want to contact me, I have an idea for a podcast, I'd be happy to hear from you. And my phone number, in here it is in Maryland, is 301-874-4900, extension 5. I repeat that, 301 874 4900 extension five. All right. Well, you take care. Maybe our pants will cross one day. You know, once you invite me to be an emerging leader,
2: uh, I will <laughs> be right. at those
1: meetings.
0: Okay.
2: That's right. Well, we look All forward right. to seeing you. All right.
0: Stay cool. Okay.
2: We'll do. We'll do. All right.
0: Take care, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Jaeger CPA Review and more. As a token for our appreciation for your listenership, we'd like to offer you 10% off your next purchase with Jaeger CPA Review. Save between $50 to $150 with code PODCAST10. If you'd like more information, look us up on JaegerCPAreview.com. And as always, if you've enjoyed this show, please rate and review on iTunes or your preferred listening platform. Again, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to you tuning in next time. Hello and thank you for tuning in to another episode of CPA Review and More. We are pleased to bring you the number one podcast for CPAs and CPA candidates. If you'd like to learn more about how Jaeger CPA Review can help you, find us on our website at JaegerCPAReview.com. Now, here's your host, Phil Jaeger. Hello
1: everyone, this is Phil Jaeger with the Jaeger CPA Review and also we call the podcast CPA Review and More. And as I've said many, many times, the more means other than just CPA review, Uh, you know, because people want to know, hey, why did the person who I'm interviewing take actually go into accounting? Do they have any regrets about it? Uh, And then the next question is, is it something that I could enjoy if I was looking at the future positions. I think that's important. You got to like what you do. I mean, if you don't like what you do every day, you're going to be a very unhappy person. Our guest today is James Sean McGettigan. Did I get that right?
2: You did. Yes. McGettigan. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you.
1: Is that Irish? You have an Irish name? Is that Irish? I
2: I have an Irish name. My dad's from Scotland. So yes, very much, very much Irish. Oh,
1: that's interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh my dad wasn't from Scotland, by the way. I
2: thought
1: <laughs> we're New Yorkers, New York. We're from New York originally, yeah. 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 And uh, we're damn proud of it because we're the only people who say coffee.
2: Coffee. Coffee, coffee. I can say it too. <laughs> hey, listen. <laughs> Spent you know, my fair share of the time in New York. So <laughs> what
1: were you what were you doing in New York at the time?
2: I had uh two clients at that firm and and so we would basically, you know, billionaire level clients, and so we would continue with their compliance needs through the busy seasons. And so uh, got to manage a team kind of remotely a little bit and then uh, in person for some time.
1: Tell us, what do you do? I mean, you're a CPA uh, mm-hmm. and of course uh, you got the CGMA, which God, that was a tough exam. Mm. You know what's tough about it? I was hoping the check would clear. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's right. And the
1: check cleared, and God, I had another certification. <laughs> right. And also, you're a certified financial planner. Correct. And by the way, I used to have that designation one time, but I just couldn't keep up with the continuing ed for the CPA and mm-hmm. and uh, the College of Financial Planning. Also, this is really, and I, I don't share this with too many people, but I was kicked off their football team. <laughs> So um, yeah, it's
2: just the. Uh, the you know, division we, one team, right?
1: Division one, yeah, division one. Uh, minus one more. Right, you know. exactly. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, but you, you know, you have the designation. You have a certified financial planner. Why did you go for the AICPA's designation of a personal financial? What is this PFS? Yeah, Was that CFS?
2: Personal financial specialist, yes.
1: Did you really need to get that or, you know, would you have been, first of all, if you had the CFP and you never went for the PFS, would it change your, you know,
2: your reputation, your living? Right, right. So it probably wouldn't. I think what it does is it tells a story about your expertise And one of the key reasons why I needed to get the CFP is that at the time, the PFS wasn't as well respected because it was so new and it probably wasn't even around. I think it came around a few years after this event, but I was interviewing to go uh, to work for some multifamily offices out of uh, LA and San Francisco. And the firms all requested a CPA and a certified financial planner designation. And in that interview, I said, oh, that's easy. I'm scheduled to take that, that exam. And I think I had started the CFP exam process and prep uh, 2012, 2013, and it became increasingly important to, to show that you've got this financial side, this this ability to, you know, lead investment meetings, to to be a real true planner focus. But with the CPA, it kind of gives you that instant credibility and also, you know, the ability to say, you know, he's a CPA, he can help with X, Y, and Z, whatever your specialty is. Mine tends to be taxes, estate planning, um, and and certain things in, in that kind of closely held genre. When the PFS came around, it actually was an interesting marriage. So... Uh, I was in that Washington national tax role. And so one of the things that came out uh, from leadership is that we wanted to be, we wanted to build associates to be more consultative. And how could we go about doing that? And so with the PFS, it it actually, in my opinion, marries two things. It marries your tax expertise. It's more tax focused. It's more planning focused. And it has elevated to the point where, yeah, you're correct. You probably do not need both. And, and certain it allows for certain series test exemptions if you're registering with the SEC and things like that. So, because I noticed
1: a lot of times on CNN, I'll see that the College of Financial Planning, yes, is pushing the CFP. They mentioned, hey, if you're going to do financial planning, you want to be with a CFP, CFP you professional.
2: Know? And
1: you know, I only wish that the AICPA marketed the CPA designation like that.
2: We're working on it. So I'm actually uh, newly on a a PFS credential committee. And so what's what's nice is we're on the front lines of seeing how we can further elevate the PFS marketing and advertising to our friends and and colleagues. And I totally agree with you. Yes, the CFP board is doing a lot of advertising and, and that has elevated quite nicely over the years.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure you're aware that there's uh, less people taking the CPA exam. Are you aware of that?
2: Yes, I am.
1: Uh, last quarter, I think that dropped 25%. Yes. And they expect the 25% decline this quarter. That's right. Uh, which is sort of, uh, to me, scary, you know, because I bring up, is the CPA gonna become a dinosaur? The AI CPA, unless it's something I don't know, all right, I don't ever really hear anything on TV or whatever, talking about the AICPA and the CPA designation they're going into this evolution thing is that going to help the shortage what do you th- what are you you're familiar with the evolution right
2: mm-hmm.
1: you think that's going to stop you think you'll get more people going into accounting with that
2: yeah, it's a good question because i think the, the where accounting is going in general is that we're leaving a space that's traditionally dedicated as a CPA expert area whether, whether that's audit tax other types of consulting and more and more firms are hiring data scientists more and more firms are hiring computer information system specialists right because everything is data driven and so it's how do we kind of marriage that so we've got non-cpa professionals within accounting firms now we've got traditional cpa path uh, folks within accounting firms where is that marriage right and and i think in part the answer is Yes, I think that the evolution and the ability for the AICPA to continue to market and push these initiatives out will continue to make the exam more, more and more relevant. What we're seeing in the exam today is a push to get maybe more personal financial planning topics in there and, and really trying to evolve and have it continue to be relevant. So I have faith that I think it will cont- it will work and I have faith that you know things ebb and flow. But I wholeheartedly agree with you that we do have a a concern within the community that accounting majors and CPAs are not being produced at the same rate that they were. They're not
1: going, you know, when I was, you know, out of college, a lot of people graduated and then they took the CPA exam and it was, you know, no doubt in their minds that that's what they were going to do. But today,
2: today is different and we're seeing that. That impact downstream, you know, I'm on the board of the Arizona Society of CPAs and we are seeing, you know, we're trying to plan for that, that decline in potential new CPAs. But I think it's challenging our industry and our think tanks, you know, and our, and our organizations, our professional organizations in a, in a, in a way that we're, basically telling them you need to push to the younger generations, like ask us, ask us what we need and drive that. And 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 I'm seeing that and, and it's refreshing. I know maybe many people may not, but asking the younger folks what they need, how to stay relevant within their world is, is gonna be increasingly important.
1: Financial planning is not one of the special specializations under the evolution.
2: Yeah. I
1: mean, it should
2: be, I mean, but the PFS standards have elevated to the same standards as audit and, and certain tax standards. And so.
1: Right. But is it uh, under the evolution? You have to pick a specialization, I believe.
2: Yes. Yeah. Right.
1: Everyone takes the CPA exam covering the areas tax, uh, auditing, uh, financial accounting. And after that, they'll pick a specialization.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, and they can pick the PFS right as an as a sub credential and get into that expert area. So,
1: does it allow them that flexibility to say, "Hey, I want to do financial planning"? I think the specializations are taxes, mm-hmm. auditing, financial accounting. I guess I don't see when you go to law school. Okay, you graduate law school. All right, you take the bar exam for that state, and then. You decide, you, the new attorney, decide, all right, right, do I want to be a patent attorney? All right, do I want to be a corporate attorney? And you go and you work in that area. So you go to a firm that does patent law. So basically, those people have complete control, really, of what they can be. The NICPA is still controlling their result. When I took the exam AICPA called my CPA a certification. And in Maryland, there was no experience requirement because they felt the CPA designation was a certificate. It was not anything to do with a license to be in public accounting. Mm-hmm. Now they've taken the exact opposite, all right? The AICPA feels that the CPA is a license to work in public accounting. And in fact, When you look at the experience requirement that you have to get, which is very similar to the way it is now, you have to work for at least one year in an accounting firm or under a CPA. So basically, they're saying, hey, uh, yeah, we want to keep you up to what you are. You can go into information technology. You can go into tax compliance, whatever. All right. But the experience requirement is still to work in a CPA firm Mm -hmm. or under a CPA, so they're still saying, hey, the CPA is a license to practice public accounting. I know there's a person at the SCPA who's a former partner at e and uh, retired, and he's basically pushing the CPA exam, all right, to more auditing, okay, all right. The auditing has been beefed up as of July 1st. And a lot of the stuff in the auditing is with information technology, and if I think he has his brothers, he's he's going to make that CPA exam all auditing. I mean, and that's not good. I mean, you got to give people flexibility and you got to give them a reason. All right. You can't tell them you must work in a public accounting firm. It's bad enough we have the 150 hour rule.
2: Well, and what's interesting is that. Uh, some of the most recent updates of new CPAs that I've been monitoring on LinkedIn or in my social networks, they have been in non-traditional roles. You know, even at at, uh, Stoker Osler, we internally developed a CPA at at some point in time. And so uh, the Auditor General, the Department of Revenue, I think just made two new CPAs. So we are kind of seeing this. Who made
1: CPAs?
2: Well, they've, they announced that two of their staff members got the CPA. Designated. Okay. So I'm just, I'm just sharing that to, to share that there is, there, th- these are coming in different routes these days. And and I think with the CPA evolution, if I recall, I think under the tax, it's like tax compliance and planning. And so it really is about the planning these days. It's about the consultative focus and you know, maybe in the old days, yes, a CPA was enough, but I think that continuing to get your specialty and specialty designations will become increasingly important.
1: I think a good major today is probably accounting. Mm -hmm. You can have two majors, I think, at the universities. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you pick accounting and IT. Yeah.
2: And I would also, uh, you know, I also want to put a plug in there for liberal arts minor. You know, it's the nice uh, liberal arts comes up with clients quite frequently. So... Yeah. Uh, who is that? Like arts, theater, you know, kind of having a better roundabout way of having your expertise in, in accounting and information systems, but also, you know, the arts and some of that non-technical stuff becomes important when we're in client discussions and things like that. So,
1: What do you think about the AICPA allowing people who are not CPAs, but have, say, a specialization in IT for CPA firms? To bring them in as partners. That's going on.
2: It is going on. And I think even in my own experience, there was always this kind of push pull aspect to that. It's that how do you reward people in these new fields. I always say consultants but or consultative nature but you're correct information systems is one of them. HR is another aspect that's that's kind of getting into the accounting firms so that's becoming really important. We know how to reward like you're saying the audit we know how to reward the tax compliance. how do we keep those folks engaged that want to pick a different path and also you know get them to that partner level role
1: well by making uh, these non-cpas non-accountants, Mm-hmm. Partners in a CPA firm, AICPA, saying we have a shortage now. They're basically condoning it by saying, "Hey, we'll allow people, you know, who have an IT background, who are not a CPA, to become a partner in a CPA firm." I don't know. That does. I don't know what that says for the uh, the CPA designation. We have enough problems with the CPA designation. Less people taking the exam. And now you're saying, all right, look, you need an IT person. We got this guy, he knows what he's doing. And uh, no, he's not a CPA, but so what, Mm -hmm. all right? We'll make him a partner in the firm. I I just, I always felt that the AICPA may be in a lot of cases uh, our worst enemy, right? Mm -hmm. Because I I don't know who they're actually thinking about at times. Do you hear anything about this? I mean, I, I just really, it troubles me. They should not give you know encouragement to non CPAs, all right, to be partners just because the firm needs an IT person.
2: I mean, it's an interesting balance. I, I don't have a, uh, I don't necessarily share the same view uh, with respect to the AICPA, but I think it's a balance. the The accounting firm is not going to make someone partner without truly knowing who they are and that they, that oh, yeah, valued, right? So that, that aside, you know, if that person is in one of those roles and, and should be considered partner, they have a, you know, partner track is wonderful partner, making partners amazing, continuing to achieve the metrics after you've made partner is even more incredible. However, that's the way accounting firms know how to reward their talent. When we go to other, other avenues, banks, or exec, you know, executive compensation. There are so many other avenues that can provide an equal amount of benefits without maybe the the inflow and the the debt requirement to buy into to these firms. But I think that if, they're, if we're continuing to follow the traditional mold of tax compliance and ta- and audit, continuing to make tracks to partner, we're. We're going to become more irrelevant as it goes on, and so I think it, it's that balance because these firms are getting into everything related to anything to serve a business or, yeah. or a wealthy family.
1: Yeah. So, Artificial intelligence, cloud accounting. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think I think that that's all great, but I think that you know when technology comes into play, it's only going to make our jobs more valuable. There's plenty of research that says yes, there's certain jobs that get replaced with technology, but forcing myself to become irrelevant because I've got a younger person that's ready to take my spot forces me to continue to be out on the front edge of innovation, you know?
1: Uh, What would you say we should do to get the people to take the CPA, all right, when they come out of college,
2: So I'll share my own story. I mean, I graduated into a wealth management firm where the primary income is driven by portfolio uh, assets under management. So I started, I think, in 2008. And if you remember what happened in 2008 in September, there was a pretty bad market decline. And that ended up hitting accounting firms, wealth management firms, all of that. And so... I actually did not start the CPA exam right after school. What I did is bought and took a test. By the time I was able to get back to it, that had run. So I had to retake one. And so, what becomes more and more important is continuing to achieve that goal. Someone that I uh, work out with is becoming a CPA and later on in their career. And so, That tells me, all right, so we've done something to promote the value of the CPA, whether it's right out of school or whether it's later on in their career. And I would say maybe it's a 50-50 of what I hear today, of those who are doing it right out of school versus waiting till their fifth to ten years of, of experience, and I'll I will say that it gets more difficult if you don't just take care of it right away. Mo- the vast majority of new graduates are getting it within one year, especially because of the signing bonuses. The firms are getting better about bonusing them out the prep material during during college and that sort of thing. But I, I had a job during college. I did my I think I did my undergrad and masters all within a very short period of time, so I was definitely taking you know 18 credit hour type type paths and so when when we started in the great recession hit is what we call it now and what we know for sure is that in march 2019 was the market or 2009 was the market bottom we still had to continue serving clients and and we were doing everything to make sure our clients continue to uh, fill our confidence and serve them and so you know it, there was really no time to do that exam while we were doing while we were serving our clients in kind of this great recession. And so what was great is, you know, several of the CPAs I started with continued on with the firm. None of us got let go. If anything, we, sh- we were able to prove our value. And then, you know, once things settled down, we all ended up getting our CPAs. So, Are and- you
1: a partner in the company you work for?
2: No, no, no partners at our company. No partners. And- Ex- yeah, they fall to- mainly on executive compensation.
1: You were talking to me before actually we started this thing about, you know, you're very proud about this emerging leaders. Oh, yes. All right. By the way, can you make me one? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, if, if uh, the definition is, that the, as long as you're within the first ten years of your career path, so maybe we can get you on the PFS track. He might
1: have been <laughs> Lyle, you know? I mean, I really, I knew the Italian guy who started accounting, uh, Paoli, or whatever his name is. <laughs> you know that you remember that name?
2: Uh, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> you don't, I don't know
1: who the f- starter is of accounting?
2: I don't. I'm so, uh, uh, so yeah. Embarrassed.
1: Well, it's uh, it's not Ponce de Leon. It's not. Uh, no, it's this guy Paoli or something or other. He is the person who started the double entry bookkeeping.
2: Mm. And you never heard of him? I might have in my passing, but like I have You're, not heard of yeah, him.
1: Yeah, because no. I used to kid, you know, I was teaching CPA review course and also in college. And I remember I would go in there and say, uh, by the way, I'm all excited this weekend. We're having a big birthday party for uh, Paoli, you know, oh, the, the okay. founder of the accountant and founder of accounting and yeah, you know, I mean, a hundred accountants together, boy, it gets to be a wild party. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and, actually he invented the debits and his brother, Sidney invented the credits and we all march in front of the AICPA building.
2: All right. <laughs> Which is a really nice building. I've actually been there. So
1: <laughs> actually they're not, not building anymore.
2: Oh, they're not. Okay. <laughs> no,
1: that was, uh, they were in the Fox building, you know, Fox TV. Uh-huh. All right. So, no, no, that's not okay. That's nice area. That's around Radio City Musical and that type of thing. <laughs>
2: yeah. So, anyway, all right, let's go back to the emerging leader. Oh, right? yes, yes. Which
1: we decided that I cannot get into.
2: Okay. Well, right. that's that's personal preference. I mean, we'd well, still love to have you. What?
1: what was it? Which, 10 years? It's
2: generally within the first 10 years, but you know, 10, 20. I mean, you know, so just tell us you're. Uh, <laughs> just tell us you're under 40. We're good. <laughs> we don't. Uh, check, we I'm don't under, check driver's license. <laughs> I'm under
1: 40. Uh, is my nose growing?
2: Uh... <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, so, that's anyway. a special group to the near and dear to my heart. And I and I think honestly that's one of the the work that I've done through through uh, the Arizona Society of CPAs has really helped me even build my brand. Right, it's, it's put me out in the front of all right. What are we? What should we be talking about in, a, in the most basic sense, right? It has nothing to do with additional tax, additional audit, core competencies. What this has to do is, is evaluating whether your current space is the right fit for you, getting, getting them the tools to say, hey, if, if I am at this firm and I'm partner track, how do I evaluate that these are the right partners I want to learn from, right? And, but on the flip side of that is how do I stay balanced overall as you progress within your career is probably the best way to say that. And some tools and resources. I think we did a presentation pre-pandemic on pivoting. I think it's Jenny Blake's book on, on, on career pivoting. Doing another one in a couple of weeks on the great resignation. So we're calling it the, you know, the great resignation act or act two. And so what we're what we're really accomplishing is giving our younger members or our members within the first 10 years. And today it's it's evolved. It's a, it's now called Leadership Growth Alliance, right? So that's a little bit more of an inclusive term, you know, depending on, and then irregardless of age, it's just more around career path and how long have you been in the career. And what we really wanted to accomplish is a place where we could have young CPAs or or, or CPAs, you know, that aren't you know, haven't maybe tenured in their firms yet, but as a safe place to to network and to, to meet other like-minded professionals. And what's been so great is we've con- we've been able to, you know, morph that into working with them from a client perspective, right? So it's a pool of people that I've been able to draw on to say, hey, if I need uh, uh, this type of expertise for a client, where could I go and, and actually, so one of the participants we recommended for a technical issue at work, and that was because of the Leadership and Growth Alliance. And so it's, it's incredibly important. It's a passion of mine. I think I'm aging out, to be honest. And, and so uh, Jessica in the society is running that now. And I like to just give presentations. And so she sets the direction and um, I get a phone call every once in a while of whether what I can help with. So I'm always there, an open ear
1: the way you make your money, do you make your money on selling products or is it strictly consulting?
2: Strictly fee only is is the best way to say it. So that could either be hourly, but most likely it's based on assets under management.
1: Is there something that the SEC said these brokerage firms have to, uh, they can no longer charge for products? And they're pushing more for, you know, the increase in the value of the portfolio is I think mean, I think a lot of the stock brokerage firms, that's the way they pay out.
2: I uh, think I read a headline that said moving away from the broker model to the IR, the registered investment advisory model, the RAA model. And so we're seeing a huge shift into you know, fee only. There's this, there's this whole technical conversation around what is fee only compared to fee-based. Yeah and you know where when and where you can charge commissions and receive commissions or uh or basically recommending a mutual fund getting a a kickback from that there's a whole array of of regulations and sort of thing under under that but on a fortunate side of of who i work for who i serve is that we don't have to charge those fees we don't actually we're strictly there to be aligned exactly with what happens with the client's portfolio my role within stoker osler is to really set direction and work uh from a planning perspective on clients and so, you know, the portfolio will do what it'll do. And that's what we base our fees on. And, you know, the brokerage houses do charge, you know, trading fees. Sometimes there's a small spread on the, on the bid-ask type, uh, and that might go to the brokerage house. But from our perspective, we're only charging on assets under management.
1: Does that mean that if the value of my portfolio was $2 million last year, yeah. and now it's up to $3 million, you get a percentage of that increase? Is that correct?
2: That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And if it goes down to a million, then there's a de there's a, per- a share in that decrease as well.
1: I, I don't say, how do you do that? I mean, <laughs> do you give back money?
2: No, it's, it's a constant evaluation each month, uh, you know, or quarterly, however the firms do it, but it's based on an, an annualized approach on that determination date.
1: I would think, you know, a lot of people do you run across this. People say, well, you're getting 1% of the increase in the portfolio, but if you don't invest well for me, if there's a decrease, all right, are you going to give me back a 1% decrease? That's a good question. Uh, let's get someone on the phone with this. Uh, <laughs> uh, who can we... <laughs> yeah.
2: So what happens is there, there's a constant evaluation that's done. So so for example, let's just say in 1231 of the year prior, that could be the measurement date for that end of year bill. But it's not as if we continue to use that measurement date every month or every quarter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's not the set it and forget it RMD issue that comes up with the, with required distributions, but this is an ongoing calculation. So
1: didn't people have a choice at one time of you could make your money based on a percentage of the products you sell to them or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then other brokerage firms went to that, uh, you know, the value of the portfolio, all right. Mm-hmm. But I was told that the SEC was pushing more to the value of the portfolio. Is that correct?
2: It, it seems that that's where the direction of the market's going. So, and, and I think in part, it's also how do you remain independent, especially mm-hmm. if advisors are becoming CPAs or PFSs or certified financial planner professionals? It gets a little bit more complicated to accept some of those fees once you start having those credentials. So.
1: Who's regulating you the uh, SEC what is did the ACPA get involved with this at all uh, with independence or whatever
2: it's uh it's based on asset size so if you're below a certain threshold you fall into the state regulatory agencies but as if you're higher than that you're yes the SEC is the the reporting agency for the firm you know we're owned uh, wholly owned by a Bmo financial group and so we're subject to some banking uh, regulations and all of that stuff. So, what is that
1: company? BMO. What? What else? What other companies do they have?
2: Uh, so BMO Harris Bank. You you might see around the country, Florida, Arizona, Upper Midwest, Chicago area. BMO Wealth Management, which is their the trading and planning arm of the bank. And then with our group, it's called Stoker Rosser Wealth Advisors. We're an RAA under that umbrella.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Jaeger CPA Review and more. As a token for our appreciation for your listenership, we'd like to offer you 10% off your next purchase with Jaeger CPA Review. Save between $50 to $150 with code PODCAST10. If you'd like more information, look us up on JaegerCPAreview.com. And as always, if you've enjoyed this show, please rate and review on iTunes or your preferred listening platform. Again, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to you tuning in next time.